You're listening to Take Time to Believe, episode number two, You Are Always Enough. You've been taught your whole life that the worth of souls is great in the sight of God, so why don't you feel that way? With voices inside your head telling you you need to do more, you should be better, and despite your best efforts, you keep falling short. I'm your host, Alicia Hall. I'm a certified life coach through the Life Coach School and a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I can help you finally tune into that love and worthiness that you desire and deserve, even when life experiences make it seem impossible. Hello, my friend. Before we dive into today's podcast, I want you to just imagine that you're about to host the most important and incredible person you have ever known. You clean and prep your house. You plan a meal that you're going to make and buy all the best ingredients. You have the evening all planned out in your head of exactly how it's going to go. And you recruited your closest friend to help you cook and serve this meal. In your eyes, It's the most important meal you will ever make, and you want everything to turn out perfectly. Now, let's say that you've just gotten back from the grocery store. It's an hour before you're expecting your guest, and as you walk into your house, you see that your special guest has already arrived. You stop in your tracks a little bit shocked and surprised, but your heart starts pounding as you excitedly and enthusiastically greet your guest. You invite them to sit down and offer them a drink of water, but see that your friend, so grateful that they're already there, has given them water already. Your friend and your guests seem occupied in conversation, so you slip away into the kitchen to get started on the appetizer to hold them over while you're making the meal. At first, you're relieved that your friend is there to help keep your guests company. But at the same time, you're a little bit irritated that your friend is out there instead of in the kitchen with you to help. Feeling some resentment, you become frantic, worried that you're going to miss out on something important. This is your guest after all, and you've been looking forward to this visit. You finish the appetizers and take them in, and you become intrigued by the conversation taking place. So you decide to pause and listen. That is, until you get interrupted by the timer that you set for something that you left on the stove. Rushing in to continue dinner, you throw a few ingredients into a bowl, grab a wooden spoon, and make your way over to the doorway so that you can at least still continue working and listen into the conversation. Forgetting about some of the other food you left on the stove, you start to smell something burning. So you quickly go back to see that half of your dinner preparations have just burned. At this point, you're feeling angry and frustrated. Nothing is going as you planned. You can feel the tension in your shoulders and your neck, and you salvage all that you can of what's left of the meal. Desperate for some help, you decide it was time to interrupt the conversation that you were missing out on and seek help. But instead of asking politely in your distressed tone, You sort of mumble out of rage of complaining and wondering if your friend or your guest even cares that you're all alone preparing this meal, the meal that you had put so much thought and effort into creating. The room goes quiet for a moment, 
and you're at the verge of tears. Then you hear your honored guest speak up, calling you by name, saying, I can see you are careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful. Your friend has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. If these words sound familiar to you, then you are familiar with the story of Christ visiting Mary and Martha found in Luke 10. Can you imagine the Savior being a guest in your home? How would you respond? What would be the first thing that you do? What would you be focused on? Martha was focused on making a meal for her honored guest. She wanted to serve him, to show her care and love for him. Maybe she was also looking for some validation of being a good and honorable host. Because traditionally, it was the woman's job to cook and prepare the meals back then. Maybe she wanted to make sure that it got done. With the vague details of what's really going on for Martha, you will likely create a story that you best relate to. But regardless, there's an important lesson that we can all learn from this. The most important thing that we can do is make time with the Lord. Not long ago, I was in a conversation with a very um, with a very good friend and coaching colleague, and we were discussing this scripture together. And I remember what she said stood out to me. She said, the Savior already loves us. We don't have to do anything to prove we are worthy of his love. As I thought about what she had just said, I recognized within myself how I tend to be my, like Martha in the story busying myself with all the things to do instead of staying focused on enjoying the moment. I tend to put all my focus on what I feel needs to be done than enjoying the purpose of the gathering in the first place, which is connecting with my family and friends. I tend to lose sight of what matters most and what matters most is often found from being present. I'll address the idea of being present later in this podcast, but first I feel it's important to take a look at where the ideas of what we should or have to do are coming from. I'm sure for Martha, as I said, back in the day, it was the woman's job to prepare the meal. She might've felt a sense of duty or responsibility. Similarly, you've likely grown up with an idea of what was expected of you. That likely came from the way your parents chose to run things in their own home, the way that They did things could have come from a combination of the way that they were brought up as well, combining both their different backgrounds, which equated to how you were raised. I have recognized that the idea of how things should go or what you have to do often comes down to trying to be or to show that you are enough in some way. You're trying to meet some level of perfection or expectation that seems reachable for others, but not for you. And when you struggle to reach it, you criticize and judge yourself with how you need to do or be better than you are. Some examples of this include, maybe you were paid a certain amount of money based on the number of chores you did around the house. You likely learned that more cleaning means more praise and money. Or how based on the grade you received on a test or an assignment told you how smart or capable you are. If you didn't do well, then you might try again. And if you didn't do well again, you might decide you aren't smart or capable enough and should just give up or stop trying. Or perhaps you experience the opposite, where you receive good grades and receive reward and praise and seeing how satisfied your parents were 
Maybe you felt it was your responsibility to keep them happy by pushing yourself to work harder and harder. Another example is maybe you felt you had to earn love and approval based on the choices you made so that when you do make a mistake, you start belittling or tearing yourself down because in your mind, you don't believe you're worthy of love. Have you ever shut down a compliment someone gives you thinking you wish you looked or did better than what they were complimenting you on? This is coming from your interpretation of what being enough looks like to you from how you were taught to see or define yourself. But let me ask you, do you know what enough even looks like? How do you know when you've reached it? Is it when a certain someone finally approves? Is it when you do it just as good as someone else, if not better? What do you gain from meeting the expectation? Does it really change your value or your worth? This idea of enough is coming from idea that you developed in your head based on how others around you reacted to you when you did or didn't do certain things in a particular way, typically based off of their own expectations. Now, before you go on blaming your parents or other adult figures throughout your life for the reason why you hold such high expectations of yourself, there's something important you need to understand. If you listen to my previous podcast titled, What You Believe Matters, you will hear me talk about how it's what you make the ex- what you make the expectations and not meeting those expectations mean about you. So you get to choose and decide what beliefs are worth holding on to. If they are serving you in a way that helps you feel good about yourself or demeans yourself. Kids easily take on beliefs from others because they know no better. Such as If someone told you that a failing grade means you aren't a good student, not knowing any better, you might believe your grades define how good of a student you are. But as an adult, I hope you can see that a grade never defines who you are, but can simply be a source of information as to what the child might be struggling to understand. When you are intentionally questioning out of habit, if you are doing a good enough job, then subconsciously you've created a list of all the shoulds and have tos for you to qualify for feeling accepted, approved, or loved. And completing this list of shoulds and have tos has now become your confirmation of whether you are doing it quote unquote right or wrong. For me, it's difficult to live in the present moment when I'm constantly thinking about the list of all the things I tell myself I have to do or that I should get done. I have to start dinner. I should switch over the laundry. I should take out the trash. I have to take a child to their extracurricular activities. I should shower. I should message my ministering companion or message my ministering sisters. I have to prepare my lesson or talk. I have to walk the dog, do the dishes, clean the kitchen again. I should listen to a conference talk instead of music. I should go to the temple more often. I should call my parents. The list of expectations and shoulds is never ending as it goes on and on. And the funny thing is, this list is not something that anyone is holding over us or keeping us accountable for. The shoulds and have tos aren't laws or rules that we must abide or you'll have to plead your case, justify your actions, or testify in court. And yet, a lot of us do it. We become defenses as defensive as to why it has to be done this way. 
not realizing that the shoulds and have tos are all created in our own minds, either from learned behavior from your own parents or upbringing or what you were told. All of these things are good and they aren't bad or wrong. It's when you get caught up in believing that you have no other choice or you won't be accepted, loved, valued, or enough is where you lose sight of the reason why you would want to do these things in the first place. So what would it look like if you just let go of the shoulds? If you stop telling yourself, I have to, and instead you replace them with, I could, I get to, or I choose to. Does it feel a bit lighter or more optional for you? I recall a story I once heard in a, about a newly married woman who was excitedly planning her first Thanksgiving meal. She was handed um, the pile of traditional recipes that have been passed down in her family for many generations and being told that to have the most success with this Thanksgiving dinner, she should follow the recipes exactly. While she was reading through how to prep the turkey, she found it rather odd that the recipe asked for her to remove the turkey legs and about two thirds of the turkey's bottom before placing it into the pan. Confused as to why she would need to do this, she called her mother to ask her about it. Her mother responded, she didn't know. That's just how her mother always did it. So then the young lady decided to call her grandmother. Her grandmother said that that's always the way that her mother did it because the pans were made much smaller back then. And that was the only way the turkey would fit. Discovering the reason led this young lady to start a new tradition of not cutting the turkey down because she knew it would fit in her pan with room to spare. And it turned out that she didn't have to follow the recipe exactly the way that had been passed down traditionally through the generations in order for her to have a successful and delicious Thanksgiving meal. When you start to question the beliefs of what you're telling yourself you have to do, you will discover that you have choices after all. Here's another example. I personally can sometimes feel frustrated in the mornings when I feel rushed to get my daughter to pre-K and then feel like my day or routine is interrupted when I have to go pick her up two and a half hours later. It would be three hours if I didn't have to include the driving time. The mornings I'm running late or trying to get more things done, I can get caught up in the idea that I have to do it, that I'm the only one who can take her. So I have no other choice. When I'm feeling this way, I start to resent my husband, who also works from home. But the truth is, I do have other options available to me. I could call and ask for someone to give her a ride. I could try to arrange carpool with the other parents taking their kids to the same preschool. Or I could get my husband involved, but I feel like doing that would impact when he would finish his workday, and that means we would have a later dinner. The point is I have options and when I see my options and that they are available to me, I can clearly see that the option of taking her myself is really the one I prefer to choose. I want to do it. It gives me a great time to spend with my daughter. Oftentimes when we're driving her to school, she asks to play the I spy game 
and I get to be the first to hear about all the things that she did at school as we drive home. It's a great bonding time with her, and that's not going to be there next year because she'll be taking the bus as she starts kindergarten. I have noticed when I choose to be present with my kids, I enjoy playing with or being with them more. But when I'm focused on my list of things that I have to get done, then it's easier for me to feel annoyed or frustrated, and I'm not enjoying the time with my kids. I feel bad for not being as engaged with them as I should, and I start thinking I'm a terrible mom for not making the most of my time with them. There's nothing wrong with being focused on wanting to do other things when you're with your kids, but it is important to notice how you show up when you're with them and how you see yourself when you choose to show up this way. For me, I feel like I'm in a tug of war, feeling guilty for spending time with my kids while I'm busy working and thinking about work when I'm trying to spend time with my kids. This is where learning the skill of being present can be your most powerful and beneficial tool. Being present not only helps you engage fully with the people or things that you are present with, but will also help you appreciate the time you spent in that moment. You can walk away feeling fulfilled instead of feeling frustrated or anxious, ready to move on to the next thing. The skill of being present also helps you learn to be intentional with your decisions, and you will feel like you're living more in line with the person you want to be instead of someone you're pretending to be. You won't need the approval of others, questioning if you're doing it right or doing enough, because you will fulfill your intention. You will know that you're doing it exactly enough for you. You can start with being present by taking a deep breath. Seriously, stopping to take a deep breath is like a reset, a reset of your thoughts, your actions, and direction. If you've ever meditated before, you'll understand what I'm talking about. But if you haven't, I highly recommend it. Meditation is the practice of being still, silencing your mind, and focusing your attention inward. It's the practice of being present. To be present with another person isn't to stop what you're doing and both of you silent, be silent while you're listening to your hearts. It's the practice of stillness on your own time that will help you develop the ability of being in control of you when you're with other people. You'll learn how to be more aware of how you're feeling when you're with someone else and you'll be slow to react or respond and learn to listen and engage more intentionally with the person you're with. This will increase your connection and relationship with them. Being present at work is when you're allowing yourself to be focused on your work, creating intentional space and time for the things that matter to you and being able to be present, showing up in those areas in the way that you want to, that will help you feel more fulfilled in those areas. Another reason why I love meditation so much is because I found it to be the most effective way to connect with my heavenly father and my inner spirit. Creating this kind of connection will have the biggest impact for change in the way that you see yourself. You see, your inner spirit already knows you. You've forgotten because throughout your life experiences, you've taken on false ideas of who you are, but your spirit hasn't forgotten. This is why it's important to learn how to reconnect with your soul. Your spirit can help you see that everything is exactly as it should be, that nothing has gone wrong and there's nothing wrong with you. When you are living in the present, you can receive a connection and perspective that will change the way you see yourself and the way you choose to show up in your life. 
That's because when you silence the noise of how you should be different or do better, you will increase the ability to connect with what's true. I truly believe we're all doing the best that we can with the knowledge and understanding that we have. I also know that learning to be present helps me accept myself in the moments when my best isn't what I hoped it to be. Sometimes my best is not accomplishing much of my task list, and sometimes my best is accomplishing a great deal. Sometimes my best looks like losing my patience, and it also looks like apologizing when I'm not very patient. My best is also being willing to let go of what I think my life should look like so I can feel peace and allowing it to be what it is. Accepting myself in the moment means I'm not believing there's something wrong with me when I don't show up in the way I hope to because I know that my worth or value isn't defined by my behaviors, my list of things to do, or how I spend my time. My worth is absolute no matter what. Believing this helps me appreciate my life in the way that doesn't have me questioning if I'm doing enough. You are always enough for Christ because he already paid the price of your shortcomings and mistakes on your behalf. I don't believe our Savior went through what he went through so that we would hold ourselves hostage to all the shoulds and shouldn'ts to be worthy of his love. The Savior doesn't see what you see about yourself. He sees the truth of who you are as a child of God. He knows what you are capable of, and he will show you how to discover this truth through his grace, compassion, mercy, and unconditional love. Regardless of where you fall short, how many mistakes you make, you are still worthy of his love and grace. It is his love that will help you create the desire to start living into the truth of who he sees you to be. That's the purpose of the atonement. That's why we need it. He will meet you exactly where you are, as you are, and show you you are worthy of his love and his atonement. It's always available to those who choose to use it, those who desire a change of heart and striving to do their best. I think it hurts our Savior to see us easily dismiss a gift he gave his life for because we are believing we aren't measuring up, that we aren't perfect today. We aren't as good as someone else, or we aren't like the Savior just yet. How quick we are to punish ourselves, to prevent ourselves from not just using his gift, but to also deny ourselves of feeling his love. Saying to ourselves, as soon as I overcome this habit or addiction, then I'll be worthy of his love. Then I'll pray and turn to him for help. But you're missing the point entirely. He needs you to be willing to allow him in, not turn him away because you can't see what he already sees in you. I recall a time I just walked out of the Alenta temple and recognized the night and day difference in my countenance and my heart. I was feeling burdened and weighted down by my circumstances before I had entered, but when I walked out, I felt lifted and great joy. I remember thinking I never wanted to lose this feeling. In that moment, it was either a thought or an impression that came to my mind, and it went like this. To know Christ is to draw closer to him. To love him is to serve him by setting aside my limited understanding and seeking his all-knowing truth. I know the more time I spend with him, the more I want to be with him. I desire to be close to him, to hear of his counsel, to seek his peace, his truth, and his perspective. 
And guess what? When I don't and I fall short or my human frailties get in the way, he still loves me. He loves me when I'm engaged with him in my life, and he loves me when I try to do things my way. Nothing I ever do changes his love for me. My poor choices only limit me from seeking greater insight, revelation, and connection with him. But that comes from believing he's just as disappointed in me as I am in myself. Believing he wouldn't want to be with me because of the negative thoughts that I have about me. But nothing could be further from the truth. His thoughts are not my thoughts. I separate myself from him because of what I think of me, not the other way around. You can know that you are always enough for Christ because of his open invitation to come follow me. All ye that are burdened and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He invites everyone to come to him, to take his yoke, his perspective upon ourselves and to learn of him, to be with him. So he can help us remove the barrier of beliefs that prevent us from seeing ourselves as we truly are. His hand is stretched out still. He doesn't give limitations or conditions. He stands with his arms open and ready to receive all who are willing. That's the requirement, to be willing. And when you are willing, he will show you, you are always enough. If you like what you heard today, I invite you to join my coaching program, Always Enough, where I will help you take a look at the beliefs that are holding you back in your life, preventing you from feeling that peace, confidence, and joy that you desire. Just go to my website, aliciahallcoaching.com and sign up for a free mini coaching session today. Thank you.